section twenty six of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain book two chapter seven anthony trollope's lily dale there are no two english novelists of the period we call victorian who are more unlike and yet more characteristically english than george eliot and anthony trollope it is strange that in their far greater truth to english life they should not be named together like dickens and thackeray as the representative english novelists of their time but they are not and it is doubtful if time will repair the injustice which long ago became inveterate they are both far greater artists far greater intellectual and moral forces than the masters whose names stand for victorian fiction they paint english manners with a fidelity simply inconceivable of dickens and thackeray and the problems they deal with are of an importance and interest surpassingly greater on the psychological side george eliot's transcendent power has been fully recognized but the greatness of her world and its wide inclusiveness has not been as duly certified by criticism just as in anthony trollope's case his immense acquaintance with society in all its ranks and orders has taken the mind of his critics from his profound and even subtle proficiency in the region of motive no one fails to note the attention given to questions of conscience in george eliot's novels they are seen always present or imminent but few readers seem to have been aware how very largely these questions enter into the texture and colour of anthony trollope's fiction the difference appears to be that she concerns herself with what we may call the puritanic conscience and he with what we may call the episcopal conscience their characters are equally far from the unmoral region in which say mr hardy's quasi-pagans dwell one in all fiction i doubt if there is a lovelier or sweeter conscience story than that of the warden unhappily for the purpose of these papers we are barred from that study of the warden which we might make in proof of trollope's psychological power by the fact that it is so wholly the story of a gentle and conscientious old man as scarcely to have a heroine eleanor harding the daughter of the warden must stand for the heroine and though she is his worthy daughter and is most dramatically circumstanced in her relation to her lover whose conscience obliges him to make the wardenship untenable to a man of her father's conscience she is not of such structural value in the story that one strongly feels or remembers her part in it the situation is in itself so affecting so charming that it might constitute eleanor harding a heroine of the first order but something that may be called want of charm 
in the girl herself perhaps a reflex effect from her history as it is prolonged into her second marriage with dean arabin after poor john bold has sacrificed his conscience to his love of her may be at fault but at any rate the mind after grappling with her idea relaxes its hold and turns away to cling to that of lily dale in the divers and sundry books where she appears and reappears the small house at allington where we first meet her is no such symmetrically proportioned and excellently fashioned work of art as the warden which stands almost sole among the author's books for form it is a very well balanced and compactly built story however and strongly held together by uncommon singleness of motive the love of lily dale for adolphus crosby who jilts her after their engagement and marries lady alexandrina de courcy is the interest which the whole life of the book centres about so unremittingly that in the retrospect it seems the only interest but there is a subsidiary interest in the love of john eames for lily dale vital enough to prolong itself through the wandering ways of the last chronicle of barset and really essential to the full evolution of lily's fate without this we could not know that her hapless love had become so largely herself that when it was crushed there was not enough of her left together for a second and happier passion she lived to realize that her false lover had been too basely cruel not for her forgiveness but for her endurance she lived to refuse him when he offered himself again after his wife's death she lived to see him and even in a social exigency to have him speak to her but though she lived to know that he was nothing to her forever she lived also to make sure that no man could be anything to her as a lover evermore this put an end to the long brave hopes of johnny eames who was not always as high as his hopes but always delightfully a human being such as lily might well be glad to have for a friend it cannot be said that the concluding passages of her story are as effectively managed as those of what is more distinctly her tragedy and yet her final and decisive refusal of eames is truly the climax of the whole her character triumphs her nature remains good and kind but her life that poor little existence which is all there is of her on earth is spoiled of that which should have made its supreme happiness it is a great story whose absolute fidelity to manners and whose reliance upon the essential strength of the motive must exalt it in the esteem of those accustomed to think of what they read two if any such reader happens himself to be of that period of the early eighteen sixties to which lily dale's romantic young girlhood belonged and in which young girlhood was sweeter than it has ever been since 
he will see her as she first appeared to adolphus crosby he will know that she wore a large hoop which tilted enough when she played croquet to give a glimpse of her white stockings that her loose sleeves were confined at the wrists with narrow little linen cuffs matching a little linen collar at her neck and that everything was very plain and smooth about her she would have on a pork-pie hat which was thought very chic in the days before it was known what chic was the word itself being not yet and but for the author i should say that she wore her hair in a net of rather a heavy velvet mesh the author however contends that she wore it in simple braids and that it was not flaxen hair and yet it was very light nor did it approach auburn and yet there ran through it a golden tint that gave it a distinct brightness of its own her eyes were brightly blue and seldom kept by any want of courage from fixing themselves where they pleased her face was not perfectly oval her nose was somewhat broader than it should be she had a dimple in her decided chin she was something below the middle height the time of the tall heroine not having come yet and she was very fair so that the soft tint of colour which relieved her complexion was rather acknowledged than distinctly seen this was the sort of girl who gave her heart in perfect abandon of passion and hero worship to as selfish a scoundrel as ever was recreant to his plighted troth the worst of adolphus crosby is that he is no worse in nature than he is worse in conduct he could not be and yet in his way he always loved lily dale and he suffered in betraying her but he did betray her he first won her heart in her quiet home at allington under her mother's approving eyes and then when he found that her uncle squire dale would not meet his hopes as to settlements went from her with renewed vows of constancy and offered himself to lady alexandrina his engagement to lily was already known and she had to bear the public shame as well as the secret anguish of being jilted the thing was as bad as it could be but how bad it was for lily dale can be known only to those familiar with her history and these do not need telling i wish i might send to it those unfamiliar with it for i do not believe that a story of simple heartbreak as it may happen in good society without the squalid adjuncts of social perdition or infamy for the victim has ever been so truly told lily dale was jilted by the man whom she had absolutely trusted and she had to gather up her broken life and make what she could of it the mild but strong resistance she opposes to her fate begins with her first knowledge of it she has never been represented as very beautiful or brilliant but merely as sweet and good and kind with an unselfish common sense which has served her well with every one but the wretch who stole her heart from her 
these great qualities for oh dear young ladies these are the great qualities avail her in the hour of her disaster when she must spare herself in order to spare others and first of all the poor mother whom her wretched lover has made the messenger of his treason to her crosby had written to mrs dale from courcy castle where he had just been accepted by lady alexandrina and had asked her to tell lily enclosing a brief note for her which her mother was to give her if she thought best now they the letters had been read by her to whom they had been addressed and the daughter was standing before the mother to hear her doom tell me all at once lily had said but in what words was her mother to tell her is it from him mamma may i read it he cannot be it is from mr crosby is he ill mamma tell me at once if he is ill i will go to him no my darling he is not ill not yet do not read it yet oh lily it brings bad news very bad news mamma said lily whatever it is i must of course be made to know it i begin to guess the truth it will pain you to say it shall i read the letter mrs dale was astonished at her calmness it could not be that she had guessed the truth or she would not stand like that with tearless eyes and unquelled courage before her you shall read it but i ought to tell you first oh my child my own one lily was now leaning against the bed and her mother was standing over her caressing her then tell me said she but i know what it is he has thought it all over while away from me and he finds that it must not be as we have supposed before he went i offered to release him and now he knows that he had better accept my offer is it so mamma in answer to this mrs dale did not speak but lily understood from her signs that it was so he might have written it to me myself said lily very proudly mamma we will go down to breakfast he has sent nothing to me then there is a note he bids me read it but i have not opened it it is here give it me said lily almost sternly let me have his last words to me and she took the note from her mother's hands lily said the note your mother will have told you all before you read these few words you will know that you have trusted one who was quite untrustworthy i know that you will hate me i cannot even ask you to forgive me you will let me pray that you may yet be happy a c she read these few words still leaning against the bed then she got up and walking to a chair seated herself with her back to her mother mrs dale moving silently after her stood over the back of the chair not daring to speak to her so she sat for some five minutes with her eyes fixed upon the open window and with crosby's note in her hand i will not hate him and i do forgive him she said at last struggling to command her voice and hardly showing that she could not altogether succeed in her attempt i may not write to him again but you shall write and tell him so now we will go down to breakfast and so saying she got up from her chair mrs dale almost feared to speak to her her composure was so complete 
and her manner so stern and fixed you frighten me lily she said your very calmness frightens me dear mamma and the poor girl absolutely smiled as she embraced her mother you need not be frightened by my calmness i know the truth well i have been very unfortunate very the brightest hopes of my life are all gone and i shall never again see him whom i love beyond all the world then at last she broke down and wept in her mother's arms there was not a word of anger spoken then against him who had done all this mrs dale felt that she did not dare to speak in anger against him and words of anger were not likely to come from poor lily she indeed hitherto did not know the whole of his offence for she had not read his letter give it me mamma she said at last it has to be done sooner or later not now lily i have told you all all that you need know at present yes now mamma and again that sweet silvery voice became stern i will read it now and there shall be an end whereupon mrs dale gave her the letter and she read it in silence her mother though standing somewhat behind her watched her narrowly as she did so she was now lying over upon the bed and the letter was on the pillow as she propped herself upon her arm her tears were running and ever and again she would stop to dry her eyes her sobs too were very audible but she went on steadily with her reading till she came to the line on which crosby told that he had already engaged himself to another woman then her mother could see that she paused suddenly and that a shudder slightly convulsed all her limbs he has been very quick she said almost in a whisper and then she finished the letter tell him mamma she said that i do forgive him and i will not hate him you will tell him that from me will you not and then she raised herself from the bed you must mamma or if you do not i shall do so remember that i love him you know what it is to have loved one single man he has made me very unhappy i hardly know yet how unhappy but i have loved him and do love him i believe in my heart that he still loves me where this has been there must not be hatred and unforgiveness i will pray that i may become able to forgive him said mrs dale but you must write to him those words indeed you must mamma she bids me tell you that she has forgiven you and will not hate you promise me that i can make no promise now lily i will think about it and endeavour to do my duty lily was now seated and was holding the skirt of her mother's dress mamma she said looking up into her mother's face you must be very good to me now and i must be very good to you we shall be always together now i must be your friend and counsellor and be everything to you more than ever i must fall in love with you now and she smiled again and the tears were almost dry upon her cheeks three i think the quiet truth of this scene full of the gentle self-control of a nature superior to the impulses of passion is worth worlds of passion 
it is really so that such a girl as lily dale would have spoken and acted and the readers of latter-day romance are the losers that such types of girlhood are no longer presented to them in the present default i could not send the girls of this period back to better company than hers who was the contemporary of their mothers and often their companion it will not be contended by any true friend of hers that she was perfectly wise but what she tried to do she did she did forgive the man who had so atrociously wronged her in a manner she did fall in love with her mother and live to console and support her under the blow that had fallen upon her through her own heart in the lapse of time she achieved a calm that if never gay was often cheerful after much honest endeavour in behalf of johnny eames she found it was no longer in her to love any man again when with incredible meanness crosby offered himself after his wife's death she refused him not ungently when later they chanced to meet she found that she no longer cared even for the man he had once seemed he was no longer her hero her idol and the wonder was that he could ever have been she had survived her illusion but there could never be any other for love is always an illusion in its place she had ceased to suffer from the hurt he had done her but not from the memory of her suffering this had full power upon her when chance a freak or a duty of fate brought them together again there were in fact two last meetings of this sort both treated with a dignity a repose worthy of the material and with a true strong emotion very uncommon in the author who had caught from thackeray the bad habit of twaddling about his women and could not often leave them so entirely alone to work themselves out in their own way as he does lily dale in this case in the first of the meetings lily was riding with her cousin bernard and his betrothed in rotten row when on a sudden coming slowly towards her along the diverging path and leaning on the arm of another man she saw adolphus crosby she had never seen him since the day on which she had parted from him with many kisses with warm pressing eager kisses of which she had been no what ashamed he had then been to her almost as her husband she had trusted him entirely and had thrown herself into his arms with a full reliance there is often much of reticence on the part of a woman towards a man to whom she is engaged something also of shamefacedness occasionally there exists a shadow of doubt at least of that hesitation which shows that in spite of vows the woman knows that a change may come and that provision for such possible steps backward should always be within her reach but lily had cast all such caution to the winds she had given herself to the man entirely and had determined that she would sink or swim stand or fall live or die by him and by his truth he had been as false as hell she had been in his arms clinging to him kissing him swearing that her only pleasure in the world was to be with him with him her treasure her promised husband 
and within a month a week he had been false to her there had come upon her crushing tidings and she had for days wondered at herself that they had not killed her but she had lived and had forgiven him she had still loved him and had received new offers from him which had been answered as the reader knows but she had never seen him since the day on which she had parted from him at allington without a doubt as to his fate now he was before her walking on the footpath almost within reach of her whip then he raised his eyes and saw lily's side face and recognized her had he seen her before he had been stopped on his way i think he would have passed on endeavouring to escape observation but as it was his feet had been arrested before he knew of her close vicinity and now it would seem that he was afraid of her and was flying from her were he at once to walk off leaving his friend behind him and he knew that she had seen him and had recognised him and was now suffering from his presence he could not but perceive that it was so from the fixedness of her face and from the constrained manner in which she gazed before her he could not take his eyes from off her he could see that she was as pretty as ever that she was but very little altered she was in truth somewhat stouter than in the old days but of that he took no special notice should he speak to her should he try to catch her eye and then raise his hat should he go up to her horse's head boldly and ask her to let bygones be bygones or should he simply ask her after her health he made one step towards her and he saw that the face became more rigid and more fixed than before and then he desisted he told himself that he was simply hateful to her he thought that he could perceive that there was no tenderness mixed with her unabated anger at this moment bernard dale and emily came close upon him and bernard saw him at once done he said i think we will ride on and he put his horse into a trot is there anything the matter said emily to her lover nothing specially the matter he replied but you were standing in company with the greatest blackguard that ever lived and i thought we had better change our ground bernard said lily flashing on him with all the fire which her eyes could command then she remembered that she could not reprimand him for the offence of such abuse in such a company so she reined in her horse and fell a-weeping the second and the last of the two encounters between lily and crosby took place in a great london house where lily was looking at the pictures with her cousin and his friends mrs harold smith had declared that she would not look at another painting till the exhibition was open three of the ladies were seated in the drawing-room and sif dunn was standing before them lecturing about art as though he had been brought up on the ancient masters emily and bernard were lingering behind and the others were simply delaying their departure till the truant lovers should have caught them at this moment two gentlemen entered the room from the gallery and the two gentlemen were fowler pratt and adolphus crosby all the party except mrs thorne knew crosby personally and all of them except mrs harold smith knew something of the story 
of what had occurred between crosby and lily sif dun had learned it all since the meeting in the park having nearly learned it all from what he had seen there with his eyes but mrs thorne who knew lily's story did not know crosby's appearance crosby would have gone on but that in this attempt to do so he passed close by the chair on which mrs harold smith was sitting and that he was accosted by her mr crosby she said i haven't seen you for an age has it come to pass that you have buried yourself entirely he did not know how to extricate himself so as to move on at once he paused and hesitated and then stopped and made an attempt to talk to mrs smith as though he were at his ease the attempt was anything but successful but having once stopped he did not know how to put himself in motion again so that he might escape at this moment bernard dale and emily dunstable came up and joined the group but neither of them had discovered who crosby was till they were close upon him crosby in his attempt to talk to mrs smith had smiled and simpered and had then felt that to smile and simper before lily dale with a pretended indifference to her presence was false on his part and would seem to be mean he would have avoided lily for both their sakes had it been possible but it was no longer possible and he could not keep his eyes from her face hardly knowing what he did he bowed to her lifted his hat and uttered some word of greeting lily from the moment that she had perceived his presence had looked straight before her with something almost of fierceness in her eyes now when he saluted her she turned her face full upon him and bowed to him then she rose from her seat and made her way between sif dun and pratt out of the circle the blood had mounted to her face and suffused it all and her whole manner was such that it could escape the observation of none who stood there even mrs harold smith had seen it and had read the story as soon as she was on her feet bernard had dropped emily's hand and offered his arm to his cousin lily he said out loud you had better let me take you away it is a misfortune that you have been subjected to the insult of such a greeting the misfortune of the encounter had become too plain to admit of its being hidden under any of the ordinary veils of society crosby's salutation had been made before the eyes of them all and in the midst of absolute silence and lily had risen with so queen-like a demeanour and had moved with so stately a step that it was impossible that any one concerned should pretend to ignore the facts of the scene that had occurred crosby was still standing close to mrs harold smith mrs thorne had risen from her seat and the words which bernard dale had uttered were still sounding in the ears of them all shall i see after the carriage said sif dun for i call this all extremely good work i do not call it fine work as to the mere artistry it is a little too plain and matter-of-fact for that a greater artist than trollope would have had a more sparing touch in his realism it is not so that turgenieff or bjornson or flaubert or mr hardy would have presented these scenes a greater artist than trollope psychologically would have had a greater subtlety in his divinations and revelations it is not so that hawthorne or tolstoy or mr james would have shown us the soul of a girl in such a moment of martyry they would all both realists and psychologists have shown us her naked soul in such wise that we should have been less abashed than by her soul as we see it here with its clothes on 
but it was strictly Travis's business to show us her soul with its clothes on for in the world he deals with the soul as well as the body is clothed and wears its decorums and conventions as constantly it is when trollope shows the soul moving in these that he is most a master it is when he sometimes strips them away and bluntly exposes the soul instead of letting it betray itself that he is least a master he is mostly at his worst in the last chronicle of barset wherein his cleaning up of all the odds and ends of life left over from the other stories relating to the barchester neighbourhood he leaves few shreds and patches for the reader's imagination to penetrate yet it is from the last chronicle that the two last scenes of lilydale's suffering are taken and it is in the last chronicle that the tremendous psychical tragedy of the perpetual curate of hogglestock finally slips through the author's thumb-fingered hold lily's two encounters with crosby are of the quality of what is sublimest in the dark agony of josiah crawley and even the somewhat perfunctory drama of the subsequent scenes with johnny eames is above the ordinary level of the book but it is hard to believe in this part of lily's experience her entirely credible experience ends with the last encounter with crosby what follows with eames who has loved her from childhood and has left loving her in her resolute old maidhood is something that the reader feels it his duty to help the author out with in deference to the original implications of her story yet once in a way why is it not well to see a thing of this sort through to a natural conclusion it is certainly of true interest if not the most poignant interest and though the love-making of eames is somewhat tediously prolonged and his offers somewhat incredibly repeated still it is all-important in rounding out and setting in full relief the story of lily dale that story i say it again is one of the most interesting i know one of the most sincerely and courageously treated one feels at every moment its essential and specific veracity it is a tragedy of the most harrowing sort and yet it is altogether wholesome and consoling to be superior to fate one must be the trusting worshipper of omnipotence and it was in the shelter of this stronghold that such a girl as lily dale with no touch of pietism or word of cant found shelter and safety end of section twenty six